Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Many volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails. And units available in Tamaria near the Keen area for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Angel 7 is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that goes behind the scenes and takes an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. This podcast is hosted by Rafael Pash and Dovi Maizel. This episode, we're going to be talking about uh, License to Innovate, um, where innovation is really moving forward in the last 20 years uh, in the world of EMS in Israel. Uh, the whole organization, United Hatzala, is in essence one big innovation uh, that uh, Elie Beer, the president and founder, saw a need and recognized it and then decided to do something to change the way that EMS was being done uh, at the time in Israel. Um, and Dovi, you were part of that. It's, it's not only innovation, I say it's disruptive social innovation besides the technology. It's really changing the way we think about EMS. Right. I like that. I like disruptive social innovation. It's very, very nice term. Um, and it's, it's really, we are changing the way we think about EMS. And um, Dovi, you actually had some personal innovations yourself, uh, which are kind of responsible for the way this organization runs today. Well, um, yeah, we're going back, I don't know, almost 16 years, I think, something like that, to the early days of before smartphones even, um, when uh, basically it was really trying to challenge, the, the major challenge was, you know, how do we get fast from point A to point B? How do we get the fastest responder, the fastest ambulance, whoever it is, to that patient in need? And back then, you know, you had your radio with your frequency of your own region or city or whatever place you operate in. And you might leave that region. And then what happens? There might be a cardiac arrest or an emergency right nearby you and you won't even know about it. Um, and essentially what happened was I happened to be in a hotel in a lot and I'm uh, born and raised in Jerusalem. And I was on a holiday with a bunch of my colleagues, friends, EMTs and paramedics in a hotel. And we're having lunch at the hotel restaurant and we suddenly see a ambulance team from a lot rush through the lobby. So like good paramedics and EMTs, what do we do? We immediately join them. And we see that literally in the swimming pool, there was a, uh, near submersion there, and they started treating the patient. And I was thinking, this is really stupid. It took that ambulance seven or eight minutes to get there, and we're sitting a whole bunch of paramedics there. And and it's simply, it simply, we felt bad. We felt bad that there was nothing we could do. And at the same time, I'm holding in my hand a cell phone back then, before smartphones. This was the Nokia N95. Uh, the big, clunky, indestructible Nokias. Yes, except they had a GPS on them. And that GPS button was amazing. You pressed it, and nothing happened. It just showed you coordinates. So that's fantastic. Right. Very useful. Very useful. Can save lives with coordinates. Well, essentially, I said, wait a second. This, this, this There's got to be more to this. And I said, if everyone has GPS on their phones, there's got to be a way to create um, a platform that can monitor where we are and try and create this location-based dispatching as opposed to your regional station uh, dispatching. Right. And uh, that, that obviously helps the people who are traveling, people who are on the highways, uh, wherever you're located, you can then essentially get a uh, emergency alert based on the fact that you're for volunteers or for, you know, off shift, uh, off duty um, uh, EMTs and paramedics that, that do want to save lives. 
Um, and, and that essentially is what drove me back then to to sort of write a notebook of uh, different ideas of how uh, it was a lot of sketches and, and notes. And what I did was I, I went to a uh, um, software company in Israel back then called Matrix. And they actually, I told them about my great idea of location-based activation. Um, and I, I gave them my book of notes and sketches, and I told them, go ahead, see if you can do something with this. All right, and I understand there's there's been some um, uh, difficulty uh, marital-wise because your wife is very upset that you didn't monetize that at the time. Oh, wait, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that, that's an issue. Um, uh, she's a big believer, so she says the brownie points we got for this are worth it all. But essentially, they came back to me, uh, Matrix, a few weeks later with a beautiful um, printed book showing me how this is possible. They had just started their mobile um, uh, division in, in in Matrix, and they saw this as a primary mission, and they said, this is amazing. We could do this. It's not a problem. It'll cost you a million dollars. Oh, man. Um, okay. And and did, did you do it? Of course. I pulled out my checkbook. and Oh, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I wish. But I, what I did was I actually went to the national services and offered them this and said, listen, this is the game changer. This is, you don't no longer need that regional uh, pager group. You can, you can literally leverage all of your first responders throughout the country to any emergency, including firefighters and whoever knows how to do CPR, whoever knows how to stop the bleed and, and so on. And they literally were not interested. Wow. Okay. Um, so basically, it, it sounds like what you did was, in, in essence, create uh, an EMS version of Uber beforehand. So, yeah, basically, I, I went to Ellie Beer back then, the president and founder of the organization, and I said, listen, we got to do this. He says, you're crazy. I say, absolutely, I am. But this is something that has to has to happen, and, and we did it. We went out and, and raised the funds for it, and a few months, nine months later, I think it was, we had a live living version of Uber um, for life-saving based off of Symbian, which was the um, operating system of Nokia, and Aiden, which was the operating system of Motorola on the Nextels, um, or the Mirs, as we called them here. And, and it worked. It simply worked. It knew to identify volunteers based off of their location and not where they work or operate. And it knew to connect the dots between the volunteers and that emergency. And like you said, Raphael, had I known how to write patents back then, I might be giving a different podcast today. <laughs> I'd, I'd still like to hear that one one time. Um, so that's great. So basically, we created this network of, of or you created the network of, of volunteers. We, we, it's all we, about it's we. all about community. It's I, all about I wasn't people. around back then. <laughs> it's all about people working together. It's not. It's no one man show here. But but it really is about the people and right. taking good ideas. And yeah, and that's that's the thing. And we the whole idea of like innovation and how we're we're working with it um, as an organization is we're. we're one thing that's a little bit different here than in most other places that I've experienced is we take ideas from everybody. Like the the person who just starts uh, training and the person who's just the first you know day on EMT, we listen to their ideas and see if we can incorporate it, if, see if they can make the organization better uh, in order to lower response times, uh, like what you were saying, and in essence, save more lives. And that's what we're doing. Well, you got to remember, Rafael, you got to remember, who are our volunteers? 
These are 6,000 people that have their day jobs working in some of them in technology, some in low tech, some in medicine, some in, 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 in whatever job that's out there. And these are people that have ideas. So we're not only crowdsourcing life-saving, but we're crowdsourcing life-saving ideas. And this platform that, that doesn't have a glass ceiling um, really empowers people to think, empowers people to bring ideas. We brainstorm through them. We check the feasibility of them. And we know how to work with the different platforms all around to actually bring these technologies to life. And we can see that throughout our 16 years and things that we're doing. Right. And it's not just technologies. We also have social aspects and elements of, uh, of innovation as well. We have we talked a little bit about the psychotrauma unit last time. That was a social innovation. Uh, we have the Ten Kavod project where we have um, you know, volunteers go and visit the elderly once a week and spend time both checking up their vital signs, but also um, making sure that they alleviate their sense of loneliness and boredom. A lot of these people live by themselves. And those that was seen as social uh, innovation because we saw the need based on the fact that Israel had a, a lot of cases where people were just pass away. People, elderly people lived on their own would just pass away and no one would notice until their apartment was smelling so bad the neighbors called the police. Um, we said we have to put a stop to that. So we start having someone check on them once a week uh, in municipalities around the country. And that's another social innovation, which is saying it's recognizing the need, like you're saying, and then acting on it and changing it. I think it, it really connects when I was saying at the beginning about this disruptive social innovation is understanding that we're challenging all of the institutional systems to leverage community power, be it in technology, be it in, in, in br bridging the gaps or filling the gaps that exist in society, whether it's with uh, those elderly people that are at home alone or those people who are exposed to a very traumatic situation or whether it's the our core mission, which is saving lives within 90 seconds because ambulances take time. Correct. And we all know it's not ambulances yeah. that save lives. It's people that save lives. It's people that save Absolutely. lives. Exactly. And and one of the one of the things that most uh, when I go back to, to my training class, um, one of the things that the teacher instructed us over and over and over again is that um, a, a good EMT is one who improvises. Well, you know, we, you know what we say about that is that EMT improvises and EMT that doesn't remember. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like public speaking. It's the same. Exactly. Um, wait, what are we talking about? Um, so, but EMT improvises using the things around you. It's like it's like being an EMT ninja. I like to think of the, the positive, um, where you basically use whatever's around you. If, if you don't, let's say you run respond to a, an emergency, but you don't have your bag with you, um, or you see something happen and you're not near your car, your car's in a parking garage somewhere, and you have to go help, uh, use whatever's around you. Use the network of people around you. Use the communications possibilities around you, and use the tools around you to help save that person. I think I think that also connects a little bit to Israeli culture. Israeli oh, culture sure. of, of uh, when we talk about Israel as startup nation. Um, so what are the what 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 makes us startup nation? Why is are there so many startups per capita in Israel? A lot I think has to do with the culture, and the culture is first of all, well, on the humoristic side is. We think we know it all, but 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 on a every single person thinks they exactly, know it all. Exactly, we have a country full of bosses with no workers. But but on, on a serious note, is really not taking that no for an answer, and and not stopping because the door is closed. The door is closed. We'll go through the window. They close the window. We'll come down the chimney. It's it's really about if we see and and we create that target, that mission, because it's something that's needed. We'll make it happen. And we'll find the way to do it. And and we you can take that down to the street, like you were saying, Rafael is an EMT that's improvising that tourniquet or improvising that 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 whatever it is or, or splint or whatever. Is you use what there is and we're gonna make it happen. And if right. the government told us at the beginning, 
you can't do motorcycles for life-saving, then we did motorcycles for life-saving, and after we had 150 of them on the street, we got them legalized. Okay, so let's let's talk about that, uh, the idea of ambicycles there. Um, the ambicycle itself was, was invented, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, after the uh, bombing on Beit Yisrael Street, um, one of the founding, not a founding member, one of the early members of, of the organization saw that it was, it was chaos, uh, during the bombing, which took place on a Friday night. And, um, everyone was trying to get all the first responders trying to get to the scene. Everyone else was trying to get out of the scene. Well, this is, this is a community and, and, and geographically located in a very, very densely tight populated area that the streets there are, are all like basically Two-way streets and a one-way size street. Correct, and cars parked on the sides. Absolutely, not to mention. So it was, it was incredibly difficult to get to get to the scene. An ambulance had to park on the next main road, not too far over. Then everyone walk over. Um, and what this volunteer saw was he saw a motorcycle sneaking through on that tiny street with cars parked on both sides. It was a two-way street going one way with all the people on it trying to both get in and get out. And he's on an ambulance. I'm sorry, ambulance. He's on a motorcycle streaking through. Um, and that's when he thought the idea of put volunteer EMTs, paramedics, doctors on motorcycles. Let's make it simpler for the listeners. I don't think there's any listener that doesn't know the motorcycles that bring pizza. How 100%, do you, yeah. Exactly. Here, every pizza shop has a motorcycle or all these food deliveries. Um, you've got uh, Uber Eats or Walt or whatever. All of these that, that go around on, on these on these little scooters and get through traffic where traffic is worse. And if the food can get there on time, the pizza can get there on time, Saving lives is the most obvious. Let's get a defibrillator there on time. Let's get get the tourniquet there on time. And that's the whole concept of ambucycles. Right. And they work. Um, Once we started doing that, the response time went down to an average of three minutes across the country in wherever wherever we had ambucycles. And we started putting on lots of ambucycles. Now we have over a thousand of them. Yeah. Over Uh, a thousand spread out. Primarily in the the densely populated areas beating traffic. Correct. Or areas where there are lots of traffic volume. Uh, on on small narrow roads, uh, we happen to have that where I live. Also, there's one main thoroughfare, and you know, tiny little car accident, and everything's backed up for miles. So we basically use motorcycles to get to get to the scenes, provide the initial treatment, stop the bleed, you know, apply the tourniquet if need necessary, provide treatment, calm everybody down, um, and you know, lift take the people out of the the, uh, the cars if they're needed, and provide initial treatment. Until the ambulances can actually arrive and get there and then transport them to hospitals. Well, the whole concept of, of volunteers, of UH, United Hospital volunteers throughout the country, is, is is equipping them with all the equipment that's in the ambulance except for the stretcher, right. basically. And, and, and that's the idea, is to get that initial help to the patient fast and, 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 and effective, get with the EpiPen, start CPR, stop the bleed. Very important, and I think that that it's not only limited to motorcycles. We we we're using now. I don't know, I think it's about four hundred electric bikes. Yes, uh, they're and they're also in areas where ambicycles are hard to get to. Sorry, the, for those who don't know what the term ambicycle is, it's a term that we coined, which is a motorcycle where we put, like we're saying, medical equipment and a medical responder an on the bike. Motorcycle. Yep, an ambulance <laughs> motorcycle. An ambicycle. Um, so it's sort of a, a you know one of the many innovations done here. And we also have the network of volunteers, which is, you know, there's a thousand volunteers on on ambicycles and another 5,000 in their private cars, which are 
everywhere. And that's also an idea of like one person gets stuck in you know, a traffic jam. There's another volunteer coming from the other direction that can get there. Actually, what we did was we didn't just start spreading out volunteers. Mm. We actually sat down. And, and for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with the size of Israel, it's, it's more or less the size of New Jersey, population and geographically. And what we did was we, we, took, uh, we, we created an algorithm or a key um, of, of what the ratio of population versus responders versus um, uh, threats, whether it's security threats or natural threats or or industry threats around them, and 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 created this key of how many volunteers and first responders from the community need to be recruited, and based off of that, we recruit the volunteers from within the community and try to get to this optimized um, uh, spread out of volunteers in the field, and of course using that. Um, random, um, coincidental drive-by, be in the area, be on that same road, responder to be uh, uh, within that uh, key of response. And that enables us to get to a national uh, response time of about three minutes. And in certain big cities, we're already down to 90 seconds, which is the ultimate goal to right. every to every call. And that's... that's- in like kind of kind of insane thinking about it because you know an, an average ambulance response time in in good counties or states or or even in Israel which has a very decent ambulance system um, the average response time is anywhere between nine and twenty five minutes um, I, I know in certain parts of Canada where I'm originally from they have um, their goal is a response time of nine minutes. Um, which is, you know, considered very fast for an ambulance. And that's why we say it's not ambulances that save lives. It's people. And when we're talking about these numbers and these averages, just to get you guys into, into the scope of what we're talking about, we're talking about an average of about 1,900 emergencies every single day. That's, that's near right. 2,000 emergencies a day that are responded to by volunteers within the community. And if that's not community empowerment and if that's not disruptive social innovation i don't know what is right and one of the other amazing things about um the the volunteer aspect um is their drive to do this uh is incredible right we we very rarely have uh burnout we very rarely have situations where uh people say you know i don't want i, I don't want to go we don't have that end <laughs> of the shift effect of, we don't. Uh, <laughs> It's like, let's just get this over with. Um, people go out, and, then, and when they get there, they get that adrenaline burst, and they go, and that's their response. And sometimes they'll get one a day, two a day, three a day. The most active volunteers do five a day um, if it if it happens. But uh, that that whole aspect of the drive of, of the person responding and the amount of care and attention they're going to pay is, is quite good. The other aspect of that is uh, the volunteers also will respond to calls uh, for, you know, picking up people that don't necessarily need an ambulance. And once they get there, they can relay back to the ambulance, hey, we don't need an ambulance here. This is a case of someone fell and needed help getting up or someone needed help to taking their medication and finding it where it was uh, or a very, very minor bleed that doesn't need to go to the hospital. Um, and then that, that way they can alleviate a lot of the ambulance congestion uh, that plagues so many systems um, by doing this. Um, yeah, I, I think that community factor plays such an important role um, because when a volunteer leaves his home to help his neighbor get up, it's not, I mean, I've worked on the, on the rigs, on the ambulances for, for, I don't know, over 20 years. 
And I know that feeling. I know that burnout feeling after eight or 16 hours of work, seeing 10, 15 patients. Um, we, we try to give our best. We definitely try to give our best. And I don't mean in any way to insult my colleagues, the, the professionals on the ambulances. They're the best. But at the end of the day, getting that personal care from the neighbor and you see the these people afterwards, they end up meeting their patients in the supermarket, in the post office. Uh, and, and it really is sort of a community ecosystem. Yes, the, the official agency, the, the government agency will come in and transport the patient to the hospital then. But but that care, knowing that there, there's people in the community that will help in that time of need, there will be that buffer from the community, creates also a more resilient community, I think. Absolutely. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been at... Uh, situation or place within my community where people come and say, I feel more comfortable because I know you're here. Um, not not because they know me, but because they know I'm a first responder. Um, or even when I was camping recently with my family and I was, we were out camping at this wonderful, uh, kind of like a man-made lake or series of small lakes and, and uh, they, everyone saw the, the jacket and the symbol uh, on the car and they're like, oh, I feel more comfortable in case, God forbid, something happens. Nothing did. It's what we call the superhero cape here is uh, <laughs> all our volunteers for uh, have a very, very noticeable bright orange, orange. Bright orange vest, um, which uh, says, you know, of course, has the logo of the organization on it and everything. And it's really come to, to, to be known in the community as like, here, here's the volunteer from the community, the lifesaver volunteer in the community. And, and it gives them that sort of like halo over them yeah. <laughs> in the community, which is a Love lot of the, of the drive that they get because they do get that positive feedback from the community. Absolutely. And we even get like people knocking on our doors and saying, hey, can you help with this, that, the other thing? Um, whether it's medical related or not, sometimes just fixing a tire. Um, but it happens because they know that we're people who are ready to help and ready to help that resiliency aspect of the community. Um, it's something that people even look for when they choose houses. Like if there are people who are able to help in that in that community, in that area. Um, so we've definitely seen that there's, uh, we've, we've recognized the need, we respond to the need. Um, how did this How did this play out during the COVID pandemic, um, this whole idea of seeing that there was a need for something and then answering the need. Cause that was something which, which kind of hit the whole world really hard. Well, yeah, it did hit. And I think uh, all, all, all of you listeners out there, um, colleagues in the field all felt this and I've been feeling this for the past, uh, uh, year and a half. Uh, just recently came back from one of the EMS conferences, and it really was one of the live discussions of the challenges of this past year and a half. But here in Israel, um, the way it really played out, as you asked, Rafael, is 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 more about how we were able to play additional roles that we don't naturally usually in our day-to-day play um, in assisting on the national level, meaning the government uh, were you know, not prepared just like any other government in the world and tried to give the best response that they could. Now, in Israel, it's socialized medicine. It means the government obviously is responsible for all of the medical needs in the community, etc., through the uh, community medical services, the HMOs. And and those are, are used to working in the community but aren't used to treating all these people at home. Um, and a lot of the challenges were getting to people in their homes. So it was on, on many levels. I think this, is, this should be a podcast on its own. Uh, it, it, COVID. Will, it will be. <laughs> we're going to talk about COVID uh, at some yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it helped on many levels. It helped um, just having professional, uh, 6,000 professional volunteers that know how to work within a professional hierarchy. 
using technology, using the networks, using using the 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 location based uh, dispatching, uh, CAD systems, radio systems, just a structure that was a platform to be used not only for those cardiac arrests and shortness of breath and 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 COVID cases, but also to help with humanitarian efforts, to help with uh, with additional national level efforts. All related and semi-related to the to the medical field, yet, uh, yet, yet it was out of our regular regular scope. And I'm talking about thousands and hundreds of thousands of 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 of, uh, of different uh, missions that we fulfilled, which we'll talk about in a future in a future podcast. podcast. Indeed, um, it also involved a different type of thinking, but we'll get to that a little later. So let's go back to a little bit to, to innovations. Um, what were some of the strangest things that you may, you've possibly innovated in the field? Um, in terms of like maybe during a rescue um, or had to come up with and innovate. So you're talking low-tech innovation, which is fine. Yeah, yeah low-tech. Um, at the scene. Fine. You see, you well, get to a scene, you need something. Um, I think I'll, I'll connect to your story from before of saying, you know, uh, looking for that uh, improvising in the, in the field. Um, I, I look back at one of the mass casualty incidents that we had here many years ago um, of a, um, multiple suicide bombers in the market. Um, here in Jerusalem on the Machni Yehuda market, um, where I think it was about 180 people uh, were, were injured. There were a number of fatalities there. And by the time it took ambulances to get to the scene, to the entrance of that market area, this is a huge market, which you cannot enter with your vehicles, obviously. And the suicide bombers blew themselves up in the middle of the market. So you had Many responders treating the patients in the middle, putting on tourniquets, improvising tourniquets, obviously, and using equipment that they brought with them, um, but trying to get them out to staging area where the ambulances were coming to, and they literally just took apart the, um, what do you call the market stands? The stands, yeah. They took apart the market stands, the tops of the market stands, and turned them into like backboards by the dozens and just put the patients on them to get them out of harm's way from the scene itself, which is a hot zone, and get them out to, to the developing staging area where the ambulances were coming to. And essentially, that expedited the whole uh, uh, triage and transport component to the hospital afterwards. Um, it, it's, it's improvising, but it works. It's flat. It's hard. Patients on it. And they were taken out to those to the to the scene to the staging area. area. Right, that goes back to our MCI hospital, episode. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's uh, an incredible innovation. It probably saved a lot of lives. Um, I think my my most uh, the strangest innovation I had to do in the field at one point was uh, we had to improvise um, a way to get a motorcycle out of the mud. Uh, there was a, an emergency call on a park, and it just rained, and the motorcycle, the ambicycle driver, really uh, drove down to to help. Um, person had fallen into a hole that was in the park and broken their leg. And after parking the ambicycle on the grass next to the patient, um, splinting the leg, wrapping it, um, helping the patient up, and then helping once the ambulance showed up, putting the patient on the backboard and getting them off to the um, to the ambulance, the driver came back. Uh, okay, the driver was me. Fine. Um, the driver came back to their ambicycle and saw that it had sunk a little bit into uh, into the ground a little bit, and I had to come up with a way of uh, getting the motorcycle out. So I had brought two or three other people. We used a tree branch and stuck it on the wheel and lifted it up out of the grass to be able to get back on. Um, and it's just different things you meet in the field each time as you go. Uh, sometimes in improvising splints out of pieces of wood, like you mentioned before, um, or improvising those uh, backboards, um, different ways to get the patient to respond faster. Yeah, well, uh, there are a lot of low-tech innovations, 
but let's talk about the really cool stuff, the high-tech innovations. We started back 16 years ago with, uh, with inventing Uber before anyone thought of an iPhone. Um, and over the years, we've developed many different uh, tools, um, really on the, on the high end. We're constantly looking for that next cool thing that will help save lives. For sure. And we have a lot of technological innovations happening in the past year, which are great, um, which I think we're going to talk about in the next episode. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of the uh, our new phone technology, which just came out, um, the Rug Gear phone, which we just developed specially, um, and the systems that we implemented into that, which you had a very, very big hand in. Um, we, we'll talk about the Carbine system, which we use at our dispatch center, and we'll also talk about our... Uh, brand new agreement with um, City Transformer for our co-sharing collapsible cars um, and how those are going to be implemented in the next couple of years in order to get uh, our volunteers to the scene faster um, without even having to get them a vehicle because they'll already have one right there on the street for them. Let's just give you a sneak peek. Think about those scooters that you have all over the big cities, the Lime, Wind, or whatever they're, whatever they're called, many companies out there. Yeah. The one we use here is Bird, actually, for, Bird, for electric exactly. scooters. Think that. Think saving lives. Think safety. Uh, and think access. This, this is really uh, the, the next gen. And for those sci-fi people out there, think Transformers. Think Transformers. That's kind of cool, think too. Think Tesla. It's a combination of Tesla and Transformers. There you go. <laughs> it's a Tesla transformer. Um, so we're going to talk about that in our next episode. Stay tuned. Um, thanks so much for being with us here at Real Life Rescues um, and our episode of License to Innovate. I'm Rafael. And I'm Dovey. And we're signing off till next time. <laughs> <laughs>